Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In this episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined by Trina Blair. Trina's a CEO, a global community builder, company director, and she's done a hell of a lot of things when you look at her resume. But we're really interested in finding out, according to Forbes, Trina's an expert in expanding business from Australia into the US. And I'm going to ask her a lot more about that when we get into it. But firstly, Trina, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Craig. Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to your uh, your members. So how do you get to be a global community builder? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up here. Yeah, so I've um, lived and worked in the US. Um, I've had some time in uh, Europe as well. And so through that, uh, one of the things I love doing is connecting people and tapping into new ideas and, uh, and then making sure that if there are those that I've connected with, um, I can connect those back into the interesting people that I've met along the way. I spend a lot of time actively building communities around the globe, and uh, it's something that I've enjoyed doing in FD Global. So in terms of mid-market businesses, you know, larger businesses that we're talking about today, why is this such an important issue? Why should they be thinking about global expansion? Well, one, Australia is actually a very small market. Um, and two, if you've been successful in Australia, it's actually a difficult market to be successful in. So when you take your business offshore, particularly into the US, they understand that it is a small market and it's difficult to be successful in. There's massive opportunity for Australian businesses overseas. We have a great reputation for building innovative, interesting businesses. And one and businesses that are very robust as well. So it's the opportunity that is being missed out uh, by many Australian companies by not being brave um, and not feeling that they have an opportunity uh, to take their businesses on a bigger scale. Yeah, okay, so it's an interesting opportunity then if you talk about it that way. But let's start with the bad stuff. What are the mistakes yes. that you see people make? What do people do wrong when they start to think about expanding globally? Yeah, look, there's a couple of different areas. Um, And one is, um, let's get back to some numbers for just one second. So 70% of Australian companies that go offshore actually fail. So only 30% roughly are successful. So when I started FD Global in 2014, I digged into that a little bit further to understand what were the mistakes that were being made. And there were some areas such as not being prepared enough, which we're going to challenge, and uh, which were challenging, which I'm going to talk to in a moment. But really stepping back, um, what I see is that when you're taking your business offshore, you have to remember that even though you might have been a successful mid-market business here in Australia, you've been in business 5, 10, 15, 30 years, you forget that when you're going into a market overseas, you're a startup and your mindset needs to change or you need to bring people in that understand that you're actually building a new business in a new market. So that's a startup mentality. So that's number one. Number two is that 
unfortunately, Australian business leaders are not great storytellers. So as we're talking about our business, we come across as perhaps not confident. Um, we're not really talking about our achievements and what the offer is and the opportunity that they see for those uh, clients in those overseas markets. So being a great storyteller is something that I see a lot in Australian businesses and where I spend quite a bit of my time actually in helping really get that pitch happening, uh, that polish into the story and also to bring some uh, empathy and emotion into the story as well. So really digging into the history of the business. Why did it start? And that is something actually that early stage startups do very, very well. I think organizations that are um, older, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, actually forget the purpose of their business. So that needs to be woven into the story. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about Australians not being great storytellers. We, we are often great storytellers, but not in a business context. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, in the arts and uh, cultural organisations, yes, we are good storytellers, but in business, we tend not to be. And when I think about and compare some of my American colleagues and business leaders, their, their story is perfectly pitched, perfectly polished. Um, and they really engage the audience when they're in those important meetings or on the stage at larger conferences. So uh, it, it really is an area that um, uh, I think Australian business leaders particularly uh, can do very, very better at. But also, I think there's something there about that whole tall poppy syndrome, isn't there? Um, and that, you know, we don't want to stand up too much and, uh, and talk too much about our business because we feel as if we're being perhaps a tall poppy, and, and we know what happens to tall poppies, unfortunately, in Australia. Well, that's what we have to step up into. Um, in the US, they don't have a thing as a, such a thing as a tall poppy syndrome. And uh, certainly when I take my clients into New York for the accelerator that I run, one of the very first things I, I tell them is, New York welcomes tall poppies, so go for it. And that really resonates. It really <laughs> strips away that, um, that you know, innate, ingrained uh, view of ourselves that we've got when we take uh, our businesses globally. So you spend a lot of time and you mentioned New York and the accelerator you run and so on. I want to find out more about that in a moment. But you spend a lot of time preparing Australian companies to go into the US. What's the important stuff they need to get right in preparation? Yeah, it's, it's really important that one, they do a scalability on their business and making sure that they've got all the systems in place, the policies and the practices in place um, before they start scaling. I see a lot of businesses actually, you know, go into the US, they fly over without having done that test on their business, uh, test the processes to make sure that they are uh, you know, very strong processes uh, to make sure they don't fall over um, as the business scales. Even your accounting systems, your inventory systems, your leadership structure. Um, so doing that scalability is really important. The other thing uh, which I would say is businesses don't do well is knowing who their customers are in those markets. And so your market entry strategy is vitally important. Understand who your customers are, where are they based, how do they buy? Where do they buy? What's your pricing strategy and what's your distribution strategy to those? So that is also vitally important uh, for businesses to um, undertake. Yeah, I think it's interesting to remember the size relativity of the market. 
because yes. as you said, you know, even if you only crack it in a small way in the United States, that's a massive market. You know, we're Absolutely. talking huge. Yeah, yeah, three hundred and twenty million people in the US. Um, New York State is the same population size as Australia, and I do say to my clients, look, if you can be successful in just one state in the US, you're going to have a really solid business, particularly by the size of that. Yeah, California yeah. is the fifth largest GDP in the world. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why California is so popular for businesses to launch there. But going into Texas, you know, into these other states, they're massive states. So you don't have to dive right into the broader U.S. market. There are 52 markets in the U.S. And so being really targeted about where are your customers and, and being very targeted about um, the messaging and how you're going to attract uh, those customers to your business. The other point that I would add is um, a lot of Australian companies, again, very successful Australian companies, when they're doing their market entry strategy, they go in with the same value proposition and the same product design as they've had in Australia. And that's logical because they have been successful in Australia. But what I see is businesses forget one thing when they go into overseas markets, and that is that they often need to pivot some element of their product design because it's, it's actually rare that a business out of Australia will go into the US or any other market and the product fit is exactly the same. So they need to ensure within their budget, um, their, their global expansion budget, they include product development as well. So as they get to know the market better, I, I am sure that they are going to have to add new developments, pivot in some way. They're not going to take exactly the same product that they've got that's been successful in Australia. So there's a bit of adaptation and, and you know, customization required because it may well not be the same here. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, it's an interesting way to look at it. We're in the middle of a pretty interesting time at the moment and certainly... The current period, the United States is in an even more interesting time with what they're going through. Right. How do we change our market approach given the pandemic, given it's, you know, at the moment it's impossible to fly to the United States, for example. So how do we approach that market? Is it just off the table at the moment or do we do it, need to do it differently? We, we need and we can do it differently and that's exactly what I'm seeing. I've got clients that are continuing to scale globally. You know, they're having those sales calls. But what we've done is, and what, what I've been spending my time with my clients and also additional businesses, new businesses that have reached out, is I've been utilising my network muscle. So I have a pretty amazing network in obviously the US, but also in Singapore, in the UK. I was in London late last year, uh, developed a conference for a big client and also in EMEA. And the representatives that I've got in those markets uh, on the ground available to represent the Australian companies. So they're interim marketing, interim sales, interim business development representatives, and they're industry experts in their own right. And so what I've been doing is matchmaking, essentially, um, Australian businesses, understanding their scalability to their, their accessibility, making sure they've got the budgets, but then connecting them into those network uh, in those markets, those experts in those markets. And so it is very possible to scale uh, when there's no travel available. In fact, this service I created last year, 
uh, when we were able to, to travel. So it's been really interesting. So it is very possible. And for those businesses which have shelved or that they had to shelve their 2020 global plans, actually you don't. So um, it tap into the right networks and uh, you can continue to build your, your global marketplace. The other, the other thing I would say, uh, Craig, is, is around um, how to approach global market entries. Um, so the network is available. What you need to do is shore up your own supply chain. So through the pandemic, there's been a lot of focus on business risk and all businesses should have done by now a microscopic focus on the risks and, and put plans against each of those risks they've identified. So looking at your inputs and your outputs. And also when you're talking to prospects in overseas markets, asking them much more detailed questions than perhaps what you would have before the pandemic about their supply chain. Make sure they're being managed and make sure there are no systemic issues that you can identify with those new clients. So they are the two things. So one is around networks are available uh, globally to support that growth and represent you on the ground in those markets. But secondly, shore up your own supply chains and be much more of a, a supply chain detective when it comes to uh, partners in those offshore markets. You've mentioned the word partners, network, <laughs> several times. Obviously, that's an important part of your approach. Yes. And is it is it about you, you your clients utilising your networks or building their own or a little bit of both? Uh, in the first instance, it's about if if businesses um, have not had the opportunity of getting on a plane and building their their own networks, then they can access mine absolutely. And my networks are 10, 12, 14 years, you know, um, in the making. Uh, they're respected. They're trusted. I've been working with some of my partners for that long. It takes a long um, time to build a good network. Absolutely. It, you know, it really does. And it, it also comes down to trust. And that fundamentally is what you want in business. Um, you know, a trusted partner and particularly um, offshore. You want people that know the industry. You want their experience. You want them to understand what it's like to work with a foreign company like in Australia you want them to understand even the simple things like time zones. So trust and experience is vitally important. And that's what I've built up through my network at FD Global, as I say, right around the globe. So if I'm looking to move into the United States, and you know I am, and I've done it before and not particularly well, I was one of the 70% that failed because I didn't really have the time to spend on the ground over there. Where do you recommend I start? What do I need to do to get moving? So what you need to do is, first of all, look at your experience from a couple of years ago. So what was it that caused uh, you not to be successful in the US market? You've got a UK office. So that tells me that you have the capability of scaling and you've got some processes in place to do that. I'd be interested in exploring that a little bit further. Uh, was it around budget? So often businesses underestimate the budget that it takes to get into the US market. We would also mm. look at what, how you set your global business entity and your corporate structure up um, and the implications of that on your tax uh, structure, implications around your IP, is it protected? What is the business insurance that you need? So these are some of the fundamental aspects around establishing a global business. 
uh, and adding an additional market into that. The other piece is around, obviously, your market entry strategy. So which state are you looking at? Um, is that going to be one state as we've spoken about or is it going to be a, uh, a, a an online service where you're looking at tapping into clients all over the US? Um, so understanding your market strategy as well. And then if you don't have the network over there, how are you going to build that network? Is it going to be using an expert or is it going to be using um, existing uh, partners that you've already got. So we would explore what that looks like. And um, I would be then looking to tap you into my network as well in the US. Uh, and uh, we'd go from there. Yeah, it's an interesting area, isn't it, to sort of think about how much of the work that you do is similar to what people like Trade and so on do. I've got clients that have used them. I've got one client that used them very successfully. I've got another client that thinks they're absolutely hopeless. Um <laughs> How does what you do compare or compete with what they're doing? Yeah, well, in fact, Austria do engage me. Um, in fact, uh, you might be familiar with the landing pad uh, program in San Francisco, which they created, I think it was yep. in 2016. Uh, in fact, I was engaged to help them build that. Um, and, and then once we had it established, I worked with them on the workshops for the first 18 months and the startups that went into that. So I do collaborate with Austrade. I've done workshops for them. I've done um, webinars with them and so forth. Um, I guess for me, the difference is that, you know, I, I've got a very strong, uh, dedicated focus on individual clients. I, take, I don't take a lot of uh, businesses on at once. I do like that high touch, personalized level of service and really making sure that I get to know the businesses very, very well. Um, the other point around the service that I provide is that once I've got a customer um, on board, they're, they're scaling successfully, my relationship with them never ends. And so I'm always looking for different opportunities for them, right. whether that be media here in Australia, whether it be a guest on podcasts in the US where my network is, um, and really making sure that they get you know, full access and full support, even after the engagement has finished. And I've got a num many, many clients that I think would say, the relationship with my business doesn't stop when the when the invo final invoice is paid. It's very much ongoing. Oh, fantastic. So before we wrap up, firstly, how do people get in touch with you? How do we contact you? Uh, a couple of ways. So one is um, on my website, www.f theglobal.com.au. Um, you can absolutely reach out there. That's either through email or direct phone. Uh, LinkedIn, so Trina Blair, Trina with an E, <laughs> um, not Trina with an I. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can also follow FD Global Connections on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, and yeah, email me, trina.blair at fdglobal.com.au. Fantastic. Um, before we wrap up, thank you firstly. That's fantastic. Lots of really useful information there. One tip for business owners. What would you say the number one tip is to expand globally? Wow, it's a really big question, you know, given yeah. that there's so much going on at the moment. Um, look, I, I think it's really important just to, to be prepared. Um, majority of businesses are successful because they've done four things. So be prepared is my overarching tip. 
Um, the four things are, one, you need to do your global readiness assessment on your business. Number two, you need to do a well-researched market entry strategy. Number three, educate how you effectively structure and you establish your operations overseas. And number four is tap into an expert who's established trusted network who can support your in-market growth. So they're, they're my four sub-tips, if you like. Fantastic. Thanks, Heaps, for that. That's, uh, it's really interesting information. So... Thank you for joining us, Trina, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Great, Craig. Thanks again for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to SME Radio, proudly produced by Eagle Wave's small business podcasting platform. For more great episodes like this, go to smea.org.au. Remember, if you have a story to tell, we want to share it. Mm-hmm.